Good evening, everybody. Welcome. I'm Eugene Cash. This is the Sunday night meeting of San Francisco Insight. Um, we'll sit for about a half an hour. There'll be a talk for a while and then a time to talk about what I spoke about to discuss the Dharma. You'll, you'll hear what I speak about. I asked people to send in uh, topics that they wanted me to speak about. So I'm going to give a talk based on what people sent in. So, um, so let's sit. We'll begin with the sitting. Please sit upright. Take a posture that is upright with some energy and also relaxed. <clears throat> of course, the most important thing about meditation is getting here. We generally begin with becoming embodied and establishing an embodied awareness. So please begin by feeling or sensing or becoming mindful of your body sitting here. And mindful is not from a distance. It means to feel or sense your body. And so you know you're aware of the experience directly, that the awareness is an experiential awareness of the body. And there's no right way that the body's supposed to feel, or there's no, you know, correct sensation you're supposed to have, but be curious and see what sensations you discover as you let your consciousness begin to saturate the physical experience, the somatic, kinesthetic, energetic aliveness that is sitting in your seat. Mindfulness of the body is actually a sensual experience in this way, in that we want to feel or know or be aware of the sensations of the aliveness that's here. And you don't have to think about them or describe them or name them, although that can happen naturally. You might notice you're tight or relaxed or tired or energized or hot or cold. But it's the sensation itself, the aliveness itself, the living reality we want to be in touch with. 
or keep learning how to get closer to so that the awareness is an embodied awareness. Of course, it's very helpful to be sitting upright, relatively straight without being stiff. And you know, if you're eating food, it's good to finish chewing. (laughs) And, uh, And then see what happens as you give yourself to the, the Dharma the magic of awareness and the fact that we can be here and be aware of ourselves beginning with the body and then after we've established some groundedness, some centeredness, a sense of composure we can open, expand the space of awareness to include being aware of whatever's predominant in our consciousness. Part of of the meditation practice is learning how to become an artist and deal with the art of meditation, the art of being present, the art of being aware, awake, moment by moment by moment. And I'd like to say, if you've heard me give instructions on on practice, I often say moment by moment by moment, because it's that simple. It's just being aware one moment and then the next moment and then this moment and staying very intimate with the aliveness that's sitting here. And of course, for many of us, being mindful of the body, starting to become embodied, it's very natural to become aware of the fact that the body is breathing all on its own. And you don't have to create a breath or have any certain kind of breath but you want to be aware of the nuance of each breath. What happens in your body as it breathes? (laughs) 
And when I say what happens, I don't mean you're looking for a conceptual answer. You simply want to feel or be aware of the sensations of the breath breathing itself. And as you get centered, grounded, composed, just notice what's here in your heart or your mind, in your consciousness. And be aware of it. Be aware if you're hearing of the aliveness of sound and hearing. And of the aliveness of thought, which happens all on its own. Or the aliveness of feelings or emotions or moods. And you can rest in the awareness itself in which everything arises and appears for a moment or a while and then changes or fades or disappears moment by moment by moment. And the only thing that you, that is supportive is what's called right effort. So just connecting with the energy or the diligence that allows us to stay present here moment by moment. Since the whole practice is being aware of what's here now. It's the practice that took the Buddha to realization. Moment by moment by moment.
again, hello everybody. Um, few things to start the talk tonight. Um, I think the holiday of uh, Eid al-Adha has just ended, if any of you have celebrated that. It's an Islamic holiday uh, about faithfulness to God and uh, really rooted in charity and generosity. And it's a very, um, it's really about uh, the prophet uh, Ibrahim's devotion to Allah. And uh, it's a very interesting story that um, very similar to the Judeo-Christian um, story of Abraham and Isaac and being willing to sacrifice one's blood um, to express one's devotion to God. And it's both in Judaism and uh, uh, Islam. And so that's a holiday that just happened for people. And uh, yeah, so I just wanted to acknowledge that. And then I've been on a different kind of holiday. Of course, the word holiday comes from the word meaning holy day. I've been on retreat for the past uh, week, a little more. Uh, which has been really a uh, certain kind of holiday and quite lovely. Um, it was a retreat uh, really all about presence and uh, different levels of realization that are possible as we stay in the moment, as we stay present with what's here. And so I, I, have, I had a good time and really uh, quite... Uh, blessed to be able to go on retreat for the last uh, about nine days. Um, and so, and while I had, was on retreat, I sent a text to uh, SFI saying, could you ask people, what do you want me to teach when I get back, maybe tonight? And so there were a number of uh, responses, uh, but the pieces that I want to respond to is, um, well, I'm going to do two. One was a very traditional Buddhist piece, and the rest was about politics and the election. And um, the Buddha, I'll start with the Buddhist piece, which is virya. And virya is, um, the, the question was, what about cultivating virya, developing it, increasing it, sustaining it? Um, and virya is in both the five faculties and the seven factors of awakening and the eightfold path. And um, mostly it's translated or it's understood as right effort or right energy for practice. And, um, and um, the word virya is also translated as persistence, vigor, effort, diligence. And all of those are very important components for each of us in terms of practice, to be diligent about practice. It's not just you do it for 10 minutes and then you're done, or even you sit for half an hour and you're done. No, every moment is part of practice. Your life is practice. And so there's a kind of diligence. And diligence doesn't mean tension. It means, it, to me, it means a relaxed awareness that um, reality is happening at each moment and being known and we're aware of it in all its forms. And so we want to practice with life because life is practice. 
and um, it um, the word varia means energy, also uh, virility, uh, right, and vitality. It's uh, considered an active force and uh, a certain kind of mental or physical vigor or activity or animation or liveliness. And it's pointing to something that we have because we're alive, because we're living beings. And we want to be aware of it and be able to use the power of virya in order to wake up and wake up individually and wake up collectively and really um, to bring the dharma into the world or, or bring the other way we can say it is bring the world into dharma so that we can create a world that we all want to live in and we all care about and we all love. Yeah. There was one more piece I had about Viria. It said, this may be from the Chinese canon, consisting and constituted by that immaterial force or principle which is present in living beings by which they are animated. And then there was a subset, vital spark. And it's the spark of aliveness that's in everybody, no matter what's happening. If you're alive, it's there. And that spark is there. We want to be able to tap into it or be aware of it in order to bring it, uh, to allow it to infuse our practice, not just everything that we're doing, but, but everything that we're doing being part of practice. And so, again, most traditionally it's understood as right effort. And I'm going to read some of the questions or, or requests that people had about uh, what to speak about. And then I'll speak to some of them or I'll let them accumulate and then speak later. You, you'll hear as we go. And so somebody wrote in and said, um, in terms of Buddhism and politics relating to the upcoming election, how do we make societal progress justice when the most dominant religious institutions continue to perpetuate and vote for candidates that openly embrace classism, racism, sexism, etc.? I would add more isms to that. And that's a really great question um, because we want to practice with this and we want to see how, how are we practicing already with the election because of course the election is already happening meaning we're not doing the vote tomorrow but it's already happening because of COVID-19 in a very different way and we have a president who has a lot of opinions about what shouldn't shouldn't happen with election like mail-in ballots is a lot of opinion that um, Donald Trump seems to be expressing and there's a lot of concern that comes up. Um, in this, it was about the most dominant religious institutions perpetuating and vote for candidates openly embrace classes, classism, racism, sexism. So the first part of all, of all of our practice is what's true? What's true? Is that true? Are all the dominant religions propagating that? Are they all acting in that way? 
is that true? And so you hear the investigative factor comes into play immediately. We want to see, is, Christi is everybody in Christianity uh, for classism, racism, and sexism? At least in my opinion, that's not what I see. I see that there's a mix in all the religions of some people who are conservative or fundamentalist about politics and some people who are more moderate or liberal about politics and some people who are more um, radical or leftist about politics. And they, those are all human beings in different religious groups that are embodying the different ways that human beings are. And so how do we want to deal with that, with the diversity of reality that is in each religion and that is in, within the, the matrix of politics itself, right? And that becomes a really interesting part of practice and an interesting question. And, and what can we do becomes a bigger question that I'll say a little more to in a bit. Uh, but it is part of the question is, how do we want to respond to reality? What does it mean to be proactive dharmically? And you're already proactive dharmically, all of you. Because if you weren't proactive dharmically, dharmically you wouldn't come here and sit. Because this is that you have to do something to come. You have to turn on your computer now. Come get in the room where the computer is and sit down and meditate for a while. And then, you know, if you really want to go deeper in the Dharma, it means listening to whatever I say and agreeing with me or not agreeing with me and then talking together collectively so that we see what the Dharma is. We keep learning about it, not just as an idea, but as a lived reality that we're all learning about and sharing moment by moment by moment or hour by hour or day by day or week by week. Right. Here's another question, concern that came up. I would like to approaching election day, how best to drop my attach, attachment to what I believe and learn how to stop othering those who are not, who not only don't share my positions, but whose positions I think are reprehensible and offensive. Right. So how to, how to drop my attachment to what I believe, learn how to stop othering those who not only don't share my positions, but whose positions I think are reprehensible and offensive. It's a great question for practice because I have my opinion about some other people's opinion. And I'm not trying to get rid of my opinion. I'm just trying to see what's true about my perspective that, uh, and especially because I think some of the positions people take are horrible, or in my words, like crazy. I mean, do you really believe that? Do you, you know, do you really believe that white-bodied people are better than black-bodied people, right? Which is racism. And, and yet people really believe that, either consciously or unconsciously because they've been imbued with 400 years of that understanding. And we, and all, I believe all white people have some, some version or at least traces of that in their consciousness because 
white people breathe, have breathed that in for 400 years. And I do have good friends, white people who disagree with me about that, who uh, we're, still, we're still investigating together because we're still trying to learn about this and what frees us from racism. But, but this question here about the positions I think are reprehensible and offensive, it's okay to have that reaction what one wants to do in terms of practice is be aware of one's reactions and then keep seeing what's true and what's needed, what's helpful, what's skillful, what will actually bring the values I care about of love and kindness and compassion and interconnectedness and the reality, the truth of who we are, which is all here together. What will help bring that into the world? that becomes the basis for our action rather than just a reaction to our, um, to our own reactions, rather than just acting out of our reactions, which I have plenty of reactions about things I don't like. That's not the problem. The problem is when I just believe my reactions instead of look closely, see what's true, and then see what do I want to do about it you know, if, if there's um, unskillful action, unskillful politics happening in the world, right? Which I believe there is, of course. And this question about stop othering uh, those who not only don't share my positions, that's a really important point because they're not other. Because belief, as you all know, I'll say it this way, as you all know, you're the other to somebody else who doesn't agree with your position. <laughs> so we're all others on a certain level, right? Because if, if the, somebody doesn't like what I'm saying, I become the other. And so seeing the other is the beginning of not believing in the othering. It's just human beings and human beings are not awake. We're all waking up. We're not awake yet. And so how do we respond to people who may be ignorant or, or um, unkind or hateful? Because human beings are like that. So here's another one, which is how to best deal with, respond to the avalanche of horror that the nightly news has become. And just raise your hands. How many people watch the news every day, either online or on TV? Let me just see. Just keep your hands up a sec so I can see. Let's see. A lot of people don't have, but you can't see, but I just see your names. Okay. Um, so, of course, that becomes a, a really um, important question. How to deal and respond if you are watching the news or reading the news, like what I do is mostly read the New York Times online. And, uh, and that has its pluses and minuses, but I like the New York Times and, and I mostly agree with their opinions and stuff, and, but not always. Um, but I don't personally 
here's a question for all of you. How much news are you taking in? And why are you taking how much, that much news in? Because I, if you've noticed, the news is not so good. Unless I'm wrong about that. It generally, you know, you know, I just found out like we're the worst country to deal with COVID-19. We're like the worst country to deal with it. Like that's horrifying to me. You know, I, I actually still project a certain amount of intelligence and goodness on the United States of America. And maybe I'm just wrong, but the, all these other countries have dealt with it much, much better. We have the highest rate of death of COVID-19 in this country. I mean, really, and really from my most basic responses, what the fuck is that? That's crazy that we haven't dealt with this better, but we haven't. And there are many reasons, some of them in terms of leadership and some of it in terms of the, what I would call a, a American narcissism. Americans like to think they can do whatever they want. I mean, that's the American way. We can do anything. Right. And sometimes that's good and helpful. But other times it's just narcissism. It's just nonsense. It's like, you know, people don't want to wear masks when masks protect people. And of course, I, I would bet all of us don't wear masks at times when we don't feel like it. And, you know, we try to do our best, but we don't do it at times. I mean, I basically wear masks all the time when I'm going outside, but I forget sometimes. And then I have to go back and up three flights of stairs to go get a goddamn mask and put it on. I don't even want to, but, you know, that's the right thing to do. That's, that's skillful action. That's a certain kind of virya, a diligence about practice. Because mask is a really skillful means in terms of the practice of COVID-19. And then, of course, and what I've and and I have my reaction to when I see people without masks, and so I I finally this figured out what to do about that, which is I don't do this that much, but everyone I really feel moved and and pretty relaxed, not just in reaction. I go and ask them why don't you wear a mask, and it's interesting to hear the answers. Because they're not bad people. That's what. That's the first thing. It breaks the projection that somebody was asking about. You know about right about people who don't share my positions and that I disagree with. Because I just asked. There were a few young women. I Meaning young means under thirty-five. Um, uh, and we, I was out walking with Pam, my wife, and. And I just thought, why aren't they wearing masks? And then I thought, oh, let me ask them. And so I went up and asked. And they said, oh, oh, sorry. They were very apologetic. And I was not trying to be judgmental of them. I really wanted to know. And so I said, yeah, I, I just want to understand. They said, oh, sorry. We're sorry. We had them on. We took them off. There was nobody around. So we were just going to the car and, you know, and so... So also that cracks my projection about people. Because of course, people are just people and they're just doing their thing, whatever their thing is, and they thought it was fine. And of course, relatively it was fine, but 
but I didn't know. I just saw, so then I projecting them in the other group of all those people who don't have their masks on. And of course, I live next to the park and I'm in the park a lot. And a lot of people are not wearing masks. And, you know, I've said this many times, but we all know that we're not in control of reality. We're not in control of the world. But what can we do to keep making it a better world that we care about and we love and we value? and where as many people as possible can stay healthy. So one of the things I do is I wear my mask and I keep six feet away from people. And I, I don't get to hang out with people in the way that I like to hang out with people. And even when I see people I care about, I don't get to hug anybody or anything like that, except my wife and her dog. I can, I can touch her dog, that's okay, right? But, so this last one is how best to deal with the response to the avalanche of horror that the nightly news has become. Turn off the news, right? Turn it off, right? Just get enough news. You don't need more than enough. And enough may be a little bit. Oh, wait, I'm just looking at the chat. I'm going to read it because it's from someone who asked the question, right? Right? This is very important. She said, I know someone who can't wear a mask because it triggers PTSD, post-traumatic something disorder, sensory disorder. I can't remember what the S is. Um, have, have compassion for those who are afflicted in this and other ways. Yeah, really important. Really important for people. Um, oh, stress. Thank you. <laughs> I got a lot of stress. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, also, how can you quiet and stabilize your own heart and mind? What can you do to take care of yourself? Because the more you take care of yourself, the more you can take care of others and the more you can take care of the world. And so it's not just about individually being taking care of yourself. You're doing it for the benefit of yourself and all beings. And it's really part of the bodhisattva practice, right? Because bodhisattvas are here to awaken with all beings. And that's part of the function of the bodhisattva, right? So turn off the news or how, however many minutes you've been watching the news, turn it off for one week and just make sure you sit, you meditate those minutes instead of watching the news and see what happens. And you can watch the news of your mind play in your mind. It just comes, my news comes, thoughts and ideas and beliefs and feelings and this happened and that happened and, you know, but you don't have to take that news so seriously because you see it's just being made up in your mind. 90, 95% of what my mind says is not actually true. It's just the mind doing its thing. So, and also do things that, that you like, that make you feel good. Listen to gospel music, listen to Bach, you know, uh, watch the basketball games now that sports is on TV. Like if I want to really do not think about anything, I watch sports. 
and I don't even care who's winning. I like close games now, but you know, the Warriors aren't even playing in basketball anymore for many reasons, but you know, and it's been fun to watch a couple, the fourth quarters of a couple close games and, and see who wins, you know, and, and watch the concentration and the steadfastness of the people who devote themselves to sports meaning the athletes themselves. And also, if you I'll watch this, I've never seen this before, like especially in the NBA, first of all, the, it's written on the, on the floor now, Black Lives Matter, on the, on the floor that they're playing basketball on, big letters, Black Lives Matter. And there's um, almost everybody's kneeling for the national anthem including coaches and things. So it's a new world. And so they're enacting their practice, their political practice on the forum that they have to offer it, which is what they're saying. Well, I'm listening to a little bit of what some of the, some of the men uh, have said. Yeah. So also make sure to get into nature some way, shape or form if you can even if it's just right outside your house or your apartment or wherever you are, get in nature. Nature is good, right? I mean, just fresh air, just the sun or where I live, it's been very foggy, but even the fog, it's just been great to get outside. You know, I have the benefit blessing of the park to walk in and the park is great and it's green and the trees are alive and, and it's beautiful. And it's not, it's not politics, it's life, affirming life. And of course, some people have the good fortune as they can even get to go away. We're, we were trying to go away. We have one couple that we're friends with and we do six foot coupling with, meaning we, you know, we've had dinner with them twice there and we were the godparents of their children. And so sometimes it's with their, their children uh, who are grown up these days. And, uh, and uh, we were supposed to go away with them for a few days. And, and then we, they called, it got canceled because of COVID-19. It was somewhere they'd gotten a place in, in Marin and we were gonna join them. And, and it's down because it's dangerous and, and we don't, Marin is acting wisely, actually. So what else? Um, feel your interconnectedness with all beings. We're all in this together, both um, health-wise and politically. We're all in this together. Even with the things you don't like, the people you don't like, don't agree with, Whose, whose views, whose opinions, whose politics um, stink. They're human beings and they're doing the best they can. And if you can tap into that, it's below the political level. It doesn't mean you get rid of the political level, but you don't just live on the political level. You also want to live on the deepest level of Dharma that we're all interconnected and we're all one in that way. One means not the same, but different and together at the same time. 
And so to keep tapping into the depth of the wisdom that the Dharma has given you, that, has, it, that is part of practice. Because that, that wisdom, that heartfulness, that care, um, the love of humanity, because when you love humanity, it includes everybody. There's no human beings who are outside of that. Whether we like them or not, they're not outside of that. Donald Trump is a human being. Some of you may not like him. Some of you may love him. I don't know. But he's a human being. And he's, um, I have my, uh, he, he makes for good practice for me, right? Donald Trump is good practice for you, G. Um, and then just practicing with politics means there's a multiplicity of ways to practice. Keep educating oneself about what can be done, about what's going on, about what's true, and what are the structures that we can engage with, including voting and other structures, right? Here's one more. How do we practice outside of sitting in a time of upheaval, right? A time when our fears are so significantly triggered. How can we move through the world with this fear in our bodies and minds as we address rising fascism and state violence and be able to maintain our courage and persistence in bringing about positive transformation in society? Yeah, it's a same question, another version of it, and it's a deep question, and it's a beautiful question. Pay attention to what in you is asking that question, because that comes from a heartfelt place. That comes from a deep place of practice. That becomes from your love of reality, of, you, of humanity, of what's what I call the good, right? The good. One of my teachers uh, who uh, on the retreat was teaching about love. And he said, he said, one of the characteristics of true love is it sees the good in everything. And I, I know that that's true, what he said. And so, and that's where these questions come from, right? How do we move through the world with, with the fear, right? In bodies, hearts, minds about the rising uh, and address the rising fascism and state violence. Yeah, it's horrendous. I mean, I'm concerned about it. And that's why we want to have the viria, the persistence, the diligence, and the energy to respond. Because it's, it's our practice to respond. This is what it means to practice. It's sitting still is just gives us the nutrients so we can act. And we want to act from wisdom. And we want to act about, the, about racism, sexism, genderism, you know, classism, etc. We want, we want a truly free world where we're all here together and we can take care of one another. Uh, Albert Camus, who was a writer in the last century, who I liked, he said, we all carry within us places of exile. We all carry within us places of exile 
our crimes, our ravages. Our task is not to unleash them on the world, it is to transform them in ourselves. In other words, we're all human beings and we all have the pluses and minuses that all human beings have. And what, what the Dharma provides us is the possibility of waking up and transforming what's here so that we can respond to the world and, and, and offer our good hearts and our kindness. You know, and as Gandhi uh, said, he said, those who say spirituality has nothing to do with politics, they do not know what spirituality really means. Right? Those who do not say spirituality has nothing to do with politics, they do not know what spirituality really means. That's a great teaching from one of our elders in the uh, Indian tradition from India, Mahatma Gandhi, who liberated that country uh, through his uh, nonviolent response to British colonialism that nobody thought would ever disappear. And, you know, you, and of course, we didn't live so much through those times, but, you know, even, even uh, a century ago, a little more, maybe 150 years ago, I mean, British, the British owned the world. They owned the whole world. They were, they, they were the biggest col colonial nation in the world. Quite amazing, this little island, right? It's just this island of what, you know, if I want to be um, uh, flippant about it, I would say a little island of white people went all over the world colonizing the world, right? And so part of what spirituality asks us to do is keep taking the big picture, keep seeing the whole truth, the whole dharma of what's here, and to not lose touch with the depth of your practice and to stay in contact with what you value and what you love and with the community that you are part of, because it's a good community. And I'll, I, you know, I know that. I don't have to prove that to anybody. I know it's good what we're doing. And there's other ways, I mean, to think about what does it mean to bring the bodhisattva heritage into the world, right? You know, register people to vote here or somewhere else. Or, or offer your funds if you have money and you can offer funds. You know, uh, there was a lot, I know I did a lot around uh, Wynn, Wisconsin. And still, that's still going because that seems to be an important state is what I've heard uh, to support the people that I would like to see win in this next election, right? And keep seeing where can you make your voice heard? Where can you um, offer your vision in the communities you're in or in the, the organizations you're in or in the schools you're in? Right? How can you speak up or how can you write something that might be helpful? Right? Hmm. 
each of us needs to find our way because there's not just one way. And we all have different skills and capacities and cares. Trust yourself, but act on what you care about. So I'm going to stop there. And we have some time for your comments, questions. I'd love to hear from you. I always feel like that's the best part of the evening is when the Dharma comes alive together in this way. And what I would ask you to do is go to the participants button on the bottom and you can, uh, you can raise your hand and uh, you can, yeah. And then I'll call on you. Yeah. Yeah. So please, anything that was interesting that you agreed with, disagreed with, you want to know more about. Um, and it's okay if you're shy, but don't let being shy stop you from speaking. Um, hey, Eugene. Hi, Ronan. I was just wondering, could you, like... By the way, with Florian, you, Florian. Just, you, want, you want to learn how to use the button so oh. you can raise your hand, but you're fine. You can start, because nobody... Okay. Can, yeah. I think I figured out the button. Let me do it again. All right, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well... Okay, good. Now, that's the wrong button. That's oh, the wrong button. button. Okay, okay. Go to participants. Okay. And there should be, um, let's see, where is it? Next to your name, it'll say more. Is that where it is? How about that? Uh, yeah, I can't tell. Eugene, if you go to the, this is Paul. Yeah, go ahead, to Go to participants. Yeah. And there should be on the lower right-hand corner, three dots. Click oh. on that. And the first thing should be raise hand. Oh, looks like you've got it there. Yeah, okay, he's got it. So we'll go, Florian, go ahead. And un yeah, unmute yourself. All right, here we go. Great. Um, thanks so much for sharing um, all these thoughts. I, um, I was wondering, could you, like the, the first concept you shared, I, I, didn't quite, I didn't quite catch the name, um, and my memory is not the best, but. Oh, how, do you, how do you spell that? Um, kind of the energy that you bring to meditation and... Um, I don't even know which quote was it about... What the concept you talked about. The concept? Virya? Virya. 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 Virya is one of the fact, five spiritual faculties, one of the seven factors of awakening. And you could think of it both as energy it's understood as energy, but also right effort. It's a kind of effort you use for practice. And then it also has other nuances like persistence or dedication or, or um, what was the other word? Diligence. I like that word a lot. It's about being diligent in practice. Virya. And it's a certain power that um, we, we enact and comes as we enact it. So how do you how do you cultivate Virya? That is really uh, discipline. Like um, sit every day for uh, 
30 minutes in the morning for two weeks. Don't miss a day. And then, and then if you want to cultivate a certain kind of samadhi virya, be mindful of your breath the whole time. And even though your mind, your attention will go away, keep coming back to the breath. There's a kind of virya that supports that. And, that, and then by doing it, it cultivates it. It, 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 it arouses momentum. So play with it, and then let's talk about it again in two weeks. Thank you. You're welcome. Miru, please unmute. Hi, Jim. Hi, everyone. Hi. Um, yeah, I, I, thanks for the talk tonight. I was thinking a lot about the right effort um, area in the context of John Lewis, um, who John Lewis, the civil right activist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, and uh, he actually, what, what really, what was interesting to me was that I listened to a talk that he gave a while ago this, this week, and this is what he said in that interview, is that I wanted to, this, he was referencing to when he was uh, doing a freedom ride and then the march, and he said, I wanted to believe, and I did believe that things would get better, but later I discovered that you have to have this sense of faith that what you're moving toward is already done, it's already happened. It's the power to believe that you can see, that you visualize the sense of community, the sense of family, the sense of one house, and you leave that you're already there, that you're already in the community, part of that sense of one family, one house. If you visualize it, if you can um, even have faith that it's there, for you it is already there. The only thing that you need to figure out is how to get there. And he talked about how he prepared himself and then those who did the march, um, um, how rigorously they prepared for it. Uh, before they were going on the, the walk in Selma, they would practice for days and nights um, yeah. about role-playing, what happens if someone goes, comes to beat you, then what you have to do, right. things like this. So, um, but it, it's so interesting because even though he, he had the vision, that it will come, but he was also preparing for the worst cases. Uh -huh. um, and I kind of found that fascinating that, and that I, I thought that that was a good example of the right effort to um, having that vision, but at the same time being very diligent about it. Absolutely, yeah, no, totally beautiful. And that whole, the inspiration of what black people have had to deal with for 400 years and keep dealing with and have been so noble about how they've dealt with it is just amazing to me. And it's, uh, you know, uh, and I would, I, I could read this to people, I don't want to read it now, but you could all look up, it was in the New York Times, he wrote a last uh, goodbye before yeah. he died and he knew he was going to die and it was about keep keep doing keep going don't stop now and you know and that it totally a beautiful total bodhisattva total yeah. bodhisattva so sure. thank you for bringing john into the room he's, thank you for reminding yeah no he's a great person for all of us to to uh see understand and learn from to, you know, because he's still here in that way. Great.
Thank you. Emily, please unmute yourself, Emily. Hi. Hi. So I had a question from your talk like three or four weeks ago, and I think it's related to, that I didn't ask, um, but I've been thinking about, and then it's related to the topic tonight too, or one of the questions that I, you answered one of the questions that I sent in. Um, so I think it's sort of two part, but I think there might be one answer. Um, the question I had originally was a few weeks ago, you said something about the way that we have a lot of fears of things. I don't remember how you said it, but something like we have a lot of fears of things that aren't really true anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, we carry these old fears. Yes. We respond to the world as if they're happening, but they're not. Yes. And I have that experience where like one example is I can't sleep unless it's totally quiet. Mm -hmm. And the, the way that my mind interprets noise is that it's dangerous no matter what it is. If I yep. hear snoring, I can tell myself that person's sleeping, but you know, or I hear something outside, it's like, I know that's the wind or my neighbors who I love and trust, but my brain interprets it as danger and I can't sleep and I'm vigilant all the time. Okay. And then, you know, the question that I had asked tonight was about like how we face rising fascism and all our fears being triggered mm -hmm. and bring the courage and persistence to transform society with all of these fears being triggered. And you gave a lot of good answers about kind of how we can act and be in the world. But part of what I'm wondering is like, as we go out into the world and we're trying to bring our practice, which you talk about, not just in sitting, but in every moment of the day, mm -hmm. <clears throat> how do we, I don't know if this is the same question as I was wondering a few weeks ago about, you know, how we interpret the world, but there is real danger in the world right now and things that we're facing. And then yeah. there's real dangers that happen to us, either ourselves or our people yeah. that passed down or integrated into our bodies. And so something about like, you know, bringing Buddhist practice and Dharma and that skill and philosophy into how we are in the world and, and to, to be able to tell what is actually happening right. and what we're afraid is happening. Yeah, re really important what you're saying. Like even respond to what's really happening because we're responding to what yeah yeah no no it's really important what you say and it's uh it's an ongoing practice when we've uh uh inherited or that's not quite the right word we've inculcated we've um experienced those kind of impressions from the world that stay with us so that we're resp we're still responding to the impression of what, whatever happened when we were a kid or a young person or a woman or whatever it might be that because many of us have different kinds of traumatic experience that is hard to metabolize and so being really kind to oneself is First of all, you know, there's, you can't, one has to be kind to oneself to start and then to do the best one can and use the skillful means that are beyond Buddhism that are helpful. Because, you know, Buddhist, Buddhism and Buddhist teachers aren't necessarily trained in trauma in the same way. And so, of course, psychotherapy with someone who's, who's got training in trauma can be very helpful. And it's different for different people what's helpful. 
and one has to find what works for them. Um, yeah, some people go really outside the box and get help with trauma. And if that works, great. But, but also, you know, the most traditional ways I know is psychotherapy and also a certain in collectivity, right? I mean, even I, one could call um, alcoholism a certain kind of trauma or, or a reaction to trauma. And so, you know, AA has worked fabulously to help people collectively with whatever the trauma was that caused the alcoholism. And um, so there are different skillful means. And of course, meditation is part of that. Buddhist practice is part of it. It's just not only that. And in terms of, um, and that what's really, what's tricky about that is it's one becomes very sensitive to danger, meaning overly sensitive. And it's true, there is this total danger in the world and everything you said, like fascism, sure, that, that could happen, you know, or that could be a danger. But one of the important things also to remember is these the danger of the world has always been here and will always be here. That's part of the truth of being a human being. If, if we have bodies like this, right? Skin like this, bodies, you know, anything can happen. We're so vulnerable physically, just as animals. We're physical like all other animals are. You know, if you're a, an ant, somebody could step on you anytime. It's just part of the deal. It's not a mistake. It's just part of the vulnerability of being a living being. And it's why we do that kind of uh, ritual of, of uh, dedicating our work to all living beings, ultimately. Because it's all life that's quite vulnerable and quite precious. And so keep finding the skillful means that support you. And then see, and then when you are calm and collected, then look carefully what's here, what's true. Does that make sense? What it, I'm does, it does. I mean, I, I have other skillful means that I use, just like you're saying, which I think is very important. I'm just wondering, and maybe it's what you're saying, and, and that's just it, and I'm trying to look for more, but are there certain ways to practice, you know, like, being in the world or you know going out to face what's happening in this actual moment the real danger of the moment that really is happening now mm -hmm. like what can we bring from buddhism in our minds to like <clears throat> face the police or or face violence or face right okay so but i want you to be really careful here because i'm going to i'm going to give you two contradictory answers that okay. are both true. One is, as you learn how to rest in the moment of what's here, in the lived moment, in this moment, is there any danger right here? Right where you're sitting? Right now. Right. And that's true 99.9% .9 of the time. And so if we start to have access to that truth, 
it lets us deal with the actual danger which may appear or may be culminating or brewing, you know, depending on what happens. And we're not in control of the causes and conditions, but we want to do the best we can to respond to what's here. And, and the more you can respond to the goodness of who and what you are from the goodness of who and what you are, and the more you can find the peace that's here right in this moment, you'll be able to respond to the difficulty that could be here in some other moments. That's helpful. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Glad you, you keep bringing that forward because it's a really important part of practice that's hard for us when we get, um, uh, when there's a kind of systemic reaction. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Maggie, please unmute. Hi, Eugene. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Cameron. I'm Maggie's partner. I, I, okay, I saw that in the note, but <laughs> you didn't sound like Maggie, but you know, you never know. <laughs> I just Hi, Cameron. Say thank you for your insights on um, how we handle our reaction to the news. Uh, I'm a former investigative journalist. Uh -huh. I have certainly suffered from empathy fatigue as I follow everything. What's been helpful for me is to see the news that I take in through the metaphor of, of a diet um, and, you know, wanting to take in healthier foods at times. And so yeah. um, for us, that's been about celebrating the small things. There's, there's more black women running in politics than ever before. So it's celebrating those wins. Um, you know, we just watched a documentary. ACLU has a documentary out called The Fight that just came out yesterday. Great. And Thank you. We were going to purchase it on, I think, Netflix or YouTube, but we paused. We ended up ordering it from Roxy Theater. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like 2 or $3 more, but it's, it's, it's promoting this local progressive organization. And it was so restorative for us because they go through four really critical uh, Supreme Court cases that were won. Uh -huh. uh, and you just don't hear the winds as much anymore. So I think surrounding yourself by the, the small things and, and celebrating those, especially right now and up until November is critical for our self-care. Great, 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 great. Thank you so much. That's so true. What you're saying is there, there's actually so much good happening that we're not aware of and is so nourishing when we see it, hear it, feel it. And it's why there's so many people, um, uh, there's so many people doing so many good things and, and, and organizing in different good ways. And it's like, let's stay aware of that too, not just those who are organizing and doing things we don't want them to do. Right. And, and great. I appreciate investigative journalists. I have a, in the Diamond Approach, I have a student who was a journalist, um, investigative journalist for many years. Uh, uh, and uh, it's been great to get to know him. Actually, I knew him in Buddhism even before the Diamond Approach. We used to bike ride together in the old days. And, and it's a very interesting because you keep looking at where's the truth. 
and what's truth and what's really going on here and how can I find it, which is all skills we need for the investigative quality of awakening. And so we, and then we move that to Buddhism. We want to see what's true right here. And if you want to see, you want to study with someone who, who uses that the most of almost any of the senior teachers I know, it's uh, Saito Utejaniya. He's way into investigation. Oh yeah, you want to vet, you want to see what's true and ask questions. He's like, oh yeah, always ask yourself questions. What's going on here? What is that? What does that mean? What goes on? Why? And so you might check it out. It might fit with your temperament. Great. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Okay. I don't see any other hands up. Well, I'm, I'm fine to stop here. Um, partly because my retreat just ended, you know, at 12.30 today. So I'm happy to have some downtime now. And uh, good to be with you all. Paul, oh, yeah. Paul Irving said, uh, he put it in chat about Donna. Great. Thank you, Paul. Oh, and good. Maggie put fight, fight by the ACLU. I always appreciate good documentaries. So I'll check it out. Uh, but yeah, please feel free. You know, we don't mind encouraging you to offer some Donna to SFI. It helps uh, pay for SFI and some of it's given to the teachers, myself. Uh, we appreciate it very much. Didn't see the surfan time. We talked about money in Buddhism someday. Thank you. Um, that that question, I'm going to keep doing that question regularly, not every week, but I'm going to put that out. And really, I love to hear from you about what you want to hear. I think it makes it so much more interesting if together we figure out what kind of Dharma do we want to study. So, um, so this is for Leah, who asked about the survey, about the questions. Okay, so last little um, sharing of merit. Appreciating our good fortune together that we could be here and, uh, and uh, study the Dharma together, investigate the Dharma, see how we can bring our hearts, minds, bodies into alignment with the truth and support the arising of a of a good world and a good country in this next election. May our, may our good fortune go out in every direction, above, below, east, west, south, north, touching beings in every realm, in every world. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings vote the proper way in the next election. <laughs> May all beings be free. Thank you, everybody. Good to be with you. 
I believe I'll see you again next week. I think I'm scheduled for next week. So see you next week. Take good care. Stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you. Thank you, Eugene. Welcome. Hello, hey, Beth. Hey, Beth. Yeah. That was quick. <laughs> Mister. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm going to end the meeting formally now. Okay. Are we good, Paul? Yep. With I'm stopping the recording now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.